hello, hello. Welcome to the latest episode of Troped Out, the podcast where we chat with your favorite and future favorite authors about all the things. I am author Emma C. Wells, except for when I am writing fantasy, then I am M. Shotwell. Over there is that bad bitch, speculative fiction author E.J. Winstrom, and today we are so happy to be talking with science fiction author Michael Meme. Michael is a science fiction writer and retired Army officer. He is a graduate of the United States Military Academy and is a veteran of Desert Storm, Somalia, and the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. His debut novel, Planet Side, came out in July 2018 and was selected as a Library Journal Best Book of 2018. The audiobook, narrated by R.C. Bray, was nominated for an Audio Award. The sequels, Space Side and Colony Side, are available now. His next book, Misfit Soldier, is available. Well, it's available right now, too. Go buy it. We'll wait, okay? You have it? Good. Now I can say welcome, Michael. We are so happy to have you as our guest. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Where do we want to start? Should you just tell us a little bit about your new release, Misfit Soldier? Yeah, I could do that. Uh, so The Misfit Soldier is kind of a heist novel set in space. It's billed as military science fiction, but it doesn't really hold many of the military science fiction tropes. It is uh, set in a military science fiction world, but it's kind of a heist novel. Um, con man uh, has joined the military uh, because he's running away from the mob, and he gets himself into some trouble. He continues to run cons in the military. Uh, Low-level stuff mostly, like he's, he's selling, you know, mood enhancers and stuff like that, running a legal gambling ring. And then he sees an opportunity for a big score, and he, the story is really about that. You don't see a lot of, like, rogue characters in a military setting. Not too, too often, unless you read my books. That, that's <laughs> that's kind of where I've gone um, with my first four novels anyway. The Planet Side series is kind of that way too. The Planet Side series is also a military science fiction series that doesn't really follow military science fiction tropes in that it's essentially a noir mystery, except set in a military science fiction setting. So you don't follow the military sci-fi tropes but you're writing military sci-fi. So why get away from all of those tropes? Uh, it wasn't intentional. Planet Side kind of came to me the way it came to me, and, and it was a mystery from the start. I did the setting because I really liked the setting um, for Planet Side, which the, the setting for Planet Side is actually based on Kandahar Air Base in Afghanistan, where I was when I dreamed this story up. And it, it kind of it's kind of allegorical to the Afghan war. But then I just took a character and I put him in that setting, but it's not about the war. There's a war going on around him. He's in the war zone, but the story is not about the war. The story is about him trying to find a missing person. My favorite blurb for that book, which is, it's on the cover, was this isn't military science fiction, but military science fiction fans are going to like it. Because it's not. It doesn't follow the tropes of military science fiction. It's really not military science fiction, but it gets shelved with military science fiction because there's such a deep military element in it. I really appreciate that. So it's the tropes for a whole nother, I don't want to say genre, but a whole nother type of story, but it's set in this military science fiction setting world. And so obviously that impacts everything that happens in the story. And you said your first three, which were planet side, colony side, and space side? Yes, not in not that, in that order, order. I'm so sorry. That's okay. <laughs> That's what I get for not looking down at my notes they were you said more noir mysteries yeah i mean it's been called uh jack reacher in oh, space okay. by some people uh, something like that you know a mystery story but set in space and and set in a war zone with your new your newer book the misfit soldier and it being a heist book was a high story something you always wanted to tackle or did that kind of come later like you knew the characters and you knew like did this character appear to you and the story appeared to you and the heist kind of like worked its way in like what well, chicken or egg situation both 
both, both. It was really both, and I know that's a cop-out answer, so I'll give you both, both sides of it. So the characters came first because I was really stuck. I was waiting for to see if my first book would sell or not, and I just, I, I wasn't writing because I'm just incapable of writing in situations like that. You know, they say to write while you wait, and I just can't. But someone said, somebody suggested to me, just write anything. So I wrote this 300-word flash fiction piece of these two characters talking to each other, two military characters talking to each other about a mission they were going on, and one of them talking about getting eaten by space whales. Okay, And it was just complete and utter nonsense. And that scene is still in the book. So the characters in that scene came first, but the story itself, I always wanted to write a heist story. I love heist stories. If you know of any good, you know, Scott Lynch is uh, the Gentleman Bastard series. I love that. Uh, Lee Bardugo, the, the fantasy series, the heist, um, Six of Crows. You know, The Sting, the movie The Sting, Ocean's Eleven. All those movies, I just love them. And, and I love those tropes. So that's kind of, you know, that's kind of how it came together. I just kind of put those two things, those two characters into that setting. Heist is one of those things, like, it has such a huge fan base. It's kind of interesting, too, to see it unfold across different genres. Because you have some, I think, some similar tropes within the trope as far as characters. Like, you know, you have, like, like usually, like, the really smart person, kind of the grumpy leader. Like, all these different things that make it work. And to see who those manifest as within different like if it's a high fantasy situation versus like a science fiction heist and i'm sitting here thinking and i really off the top of my head now granted i this isn't saying much but i can't think of another just pure science fiction heist story the one that i could probably come up with is the quantum magician by uh, Derek kunkson this is probably the only one i could think of off the top of my head read that a couple years back it's good the problem with them is and when you mix tropes is that i mean ideally you find you get the audience of both tropes right you get the audience from from heist books and you get the audience from science fiction Uh, in reality you tend to get neither which makes it a problem (laughs) you know so we'll see we'll see how it goes i feel like heist is one of those things that is really starting to transcend a certain genre though because as you cited these there's been people like lee bardugo who have done it so successfully and it's such a twisty structure. That's the part of it I like. Really like the twists, but yeah. this can also make it really hard. But I don't know. I'm rooting for you. I feel like people like their heists these days. Well, I hope so. It's fun. It's doing okay. Right, and I, I don't think it's the readers that don't want it. I think sometimes it's a it's a marketing thing because I've ran up against that in other genres. When, when you, you're doing two things at once, even if you do it really well, right. you know? You know and, that, and that was really my point more than anything is you're on, you know, it's on the science fiction shelf, but somebody who's going to the store specifically looking for science fiction may or may not be looking for a heist novel. That, right. Right. But if they are, I'm their guy. <laughs> and then they'll buy all the rest. It could be, I could be, I could corner the market. I could be the only person who writes science fiction heists. So... Do you think within your your heist novel, The Misfit Soldier, we were talking about like character tropes earlier and what you see like like within a heist novel, did you employ any of those those kind of traditional characters that we see? Like do you have like like the person that's like really good with locks and technology and, and like breaking in? Oh yeah. I got all that. I mean it's it very much I mean, I've already read reviews that say that it's too much that way. Like it's too it's almost too stock, then that's fine. Because I you could do other things with those characters, you know. I, I, I would hope that they're rounded and they you know, they I develop them well. Um, you know, and you you're interested in them for that even though they are doing certain things. Like we've got the medic, they've got a medic, right, who's actually was a doctor in civilian life but got stripped of her license. 
Um, and so she went into the military, but she still got the skill set. You got a tech guy who, who knows how to do all that stuff. You have a daredevil who is willing to pilot a ship, even though she's not a pilot. You got the you got the rookie, you know, which is in any military uh, sci-fi book. That's more of a military sci-fi trope than anything else is the new guy in the squad who's trying to fit in you'll see that in most in a lot of military movies you'll see that so so i, I stole a few tropes tropes from either of them from, from uh, both genres did you have a favorite that like to put your spin on was there one that you were like oh yeah i can't wait to dig into this and and see what i can do with it uh, not really unfortunately <laughs> i kind of built it as i went because I, I really started with just the two characters and then you know in the first act of a heist usually you're collecting the team and that's what he does and as I started to figure out what he was going to do, I just started to build the team. So I did not go into the book with like these people in my mind, but I'm like, oh, well, he's going to need a tech person. So of course he knows somebody. He's going to go get him. And that's kind of the, you know, that's kind of part of the story. And, you know, I guess that's one reason that a high story does kind of make sense in a military setting is the amount of people that you have at your disposal and who your, your main character meets and like they would have all these connections. They do and they you know there's some there's some pluses and some minuses right because in the military setting they're all supposed to follow the rules which if you've actually been in the military is completely not true. Completely not true. Soldiers will do anything and, and they just have wild imaginations and they're every bit as diverse and interesting and unique as any other class of people in the world, you know, and, and that was part of what I wanted to get across too, is that, you know, they're more than just soldiers. Cause that's a trope that I don't like is like when people write soldiers as all the same, like their uniform, like and you see it in bad and I don't, and this is not a knock on the genre, but you see it in bad romance. Okay. You see it in bad romance, not romance in general, but like the hallmark bad kind of stuff you know with that soldier and he has they all have the same same faraway look and they've all got the same ptsd and they're all on time and punctual for everything and they're all inflexible about things and that's just nonsense if you find a thousand soldiers you got a thousand different people and they're completely different there we go i got my rant out of the way early and i've also got all your romance listeners to turn it off if you're writing a good character it doesn't even one that's like in something that's trope heavy, it's going to be interesting, you know. And it's like you said, there's a difference between romance and bad romance. There's a difference between someone who knows how to write soldiers versus somebody that probably doesn't have any idea. Was it difficult to leave behind after writing a series? And was your series, is it, is it concluded? Is it a trilogy or is it open? Like, are you going to write more planet side books? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'll let you know in a year. It's... It's open. The third book is completely standalone from the first two. The first two are kind of a duology, but even those kind of stand alone. So it's really more three standalone books following the same characters. So if you think about it as like a mystery TV show, right? It's more like seasons than a run, one running thing. So, you know, you solve the mystery at the end of the season and you come into the next season. And while the characters carry over, you know, the mystery is pretty much gone. So in book three, we ended the mystery. I mean, the mystery of book three is solved. That mission is over. He's done. He's going back home at the end of it. But he could go on another one. I do have an outline. There were some other things that I wanted to write first. I was kind of tired after three. I mean, they offered me to do four um, right after three. But I was kind of tired of the series and the character. And I just wanted to do some other things. And I am uh, doing some other things. I do have an outline for it. We have talked to uh, Harper 
about doing it, Harper Voyager, my publisher, about doing it. It's certainly on the table for the future, but uh, we'll see. It was time for a break to do something different. It was. I mean, I wanted to write The Misfit Soldier, and that was great, and that was a great break. And now I'm, right, I'm working now on my dream novel I've been wanting to do for years, and I probably didn't have the skill set to write it before, and I hope that now I do, and uh, I have a deal to write that. So that's what I've been working on. Can you tell us a little bit about that, or is it top secret? I know it's public. Okay. I mean, I, I, the deal, I, saw, I signed the deal. It's a generation ship book. Um, it's about a ship that left Earth uh, two and a half centuries ago, and it is nearing its destination. And there are various people on this very closed system and oppressive ship who don't like how the ship is run, don't like how the missions are being run, uh, and they start to kind of revolt against the government of the ship. That's exciting. That's dangerous in space. It is very dangerous in space, and that's part of it, because nobody can leave, and they're all relying on each other at the same time that they are against each other. And then they're going to arrive at a planet and are supposed to start colonizing this planet, and some people don't believe that they should do that, and may try to sabotage it and things like that. That's about as far as I want to get into it. <laughs> yeah, that sounds very interesting. That's another trope that I love. I've got all the tropes I love in this one. Generation Ship is one of the first, is one of my favorite uh, sci-fi tropes. Um, I, I love that. I love AIs. I don't have an AI in mind, but I do love AIs as a sci-fi trope. But I love Generation Ships a lot. I love it when they've been on the ship for so long that there's no one that it's almost like a lost history of how they got there and why they're there and like a mythology to it. Yeah, we kind of have that a little bit. Um, they have the founding document from the ship, which was written 250 years ago, and it doesn't apply anymore. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that. That that might be parallel <laughs> to something. I'm not sure what it will be. So you do a lot of trope mashups. Is there a one that... This is a little open-ended, but is there a trope mashup that would make you just stand up and slow clap? Like you'd just be so mesmerized at how they did it. Or if that's too open-ended, is there a mashup that you've encountered somewhere that just really blew you away? That maybe it shouldn't work, but it works so well. I don't follow tropes that much. Just because that's not what really attracts me to a book. Like, I'm not going to usually pick up a book because I hear... You're not going to, like, name a trope and make me pick up a book. Other than maybe Generationship, which I would be very likely to pick up. I, I'm not too likely to pick it up just based on you telling me, hey, this is the trope and, and you just love it that much. Because I'm more about character. You know, I follow characters. Um, I like character-driven stories. You know, a great plot, something with a lot of twists stuff like that, that is, is more general than, than the tropes. But one, if I had to come up with one, Cameron Hurley, The Light Brigade, where she mashed up time travel and military science fiction, which shouldn't be possible, but it is, and it's really good. I'll read time travel anything. That is my, that is my generation ship. I will suffer through anything time travel, and I will ignore every plot hole if I like the people doing the traveling. <laughs> I, I, I like some time travel if it's done well. Like Blake Crouch did a couple things that were really, that was really good. I'm actually listening to a time travel book right now called Nexus Point, which is, uh, you probably haven't heard of it. It's an indie by uh, Kay Pimpinella. Um, I'm about 10% into it, but it's, it's kind of like a time cop thing where it follows the Time Rangers and they have to go back in time and stop the bad people from doing bad things to the timeline. If you like, oh, if you like that, though, if you like that, the book that you have to, to read 
It's a novella. It's called This Is How You Lose the Time War. Oh, boy, have I heard a lot of really good things about that book. It's fantastic. I mean, it won the Nebula and the Hugo for Best Novella. I mean, it's pretty I'm going to read it tonight. You probably can. It's like an hour and a half long. I mean, it's not long at all. EJ, do you have one? My favorite's Charles Yu, How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe. But also some of his short stories are freaking mind-blowing. I don't even usually like short stories, but Charles Yu, he's got a bizarre, brilliant brain. Um, he's the one I've told you about before. He writes for Westworld, and so a lot of what he writes is like what Westworld is. It's just like super meta. So it's like you're writing something very tropey and story-oriented, but it's also assessing itself at the same time. It's hard to explain, but he does it just seamlessly. I always feel like my brain is bending in new ways when I'm reading Charles Yu. I love reading authors who do things very well that I'm, I, I can't do. Like, I'm really impressed by that, you know, and it may be, some of that might be my internal bias, like, well, that must be good because I can't do it, which sounds really jerky now that I say it out loud. But like, like Essa Hansen is like this super creative genius mind who creates these worlds and these, these alien races that interact with each other. And it's amazing. And, and it just blows me away. I'm a huge, huge fan of hers. No Fet Gloss and Azura Ghost. You said something interesting about having an idea and then having to wait until you had the skill set to write it. And that really resonated with me because I have had a whiteboard, actually three whiteboards, outlined with the story I want to write probably since the pandemic started. But it's going to be, it's just how to tell it versus what the story is, is kind of what's got me stumped. So yeah, I think definitely there's something there reading people that you perceive as maybe doing things you can't do kind of helps unlock things in ourselves like you know maybe encourages us to push envelopes it, it can i mean I'll, I'll never i'll never write like her um and that's okay because we have her we don't need me to write like her <laughs> right. you know i do something i do some things very well i do pacing that's my thing i write very fast pace i write very low description like when you read you know when you read a ninety thousand word book by me, you feel like it went really, really fast. And that's what I do well, you know, and that's what my readers like. So that's why they keep buying my books. Um, you know, so it, you don't have to do everything well, but knowing what you do well and what you're trying to accomplish is, is kind of important. All right. Well, Michael, you gave us a few recommendations for time travel. What are you reading right now that you're loving? Uh, what I just finished was, uh, not a science fiction book, but it was called It's Like a Sister by Kelly Garrett, uh, which is crime fiction. Fantastic. So good. It was so good. I, I just devoured it. It's exactly what I like. It's like it's got like a noir feel to it, except for the Internet generation. She's sleuthing by, you know, digging into someone's Instagram account and stuff like that. It's just it's great. And there's a lot of family dynamics in it as well. It's, it's just really good. I really enjoyed that. Um, I just started The Book Eaters by uh, Sonia Dean, which I got as an arc that's not out yet. So a lot of people probably haven't even heard of it. Sorry. I read a lot of arcs this year because I can. Because pe people just send me free books, you know. Uh, I just finished Light from Uncommon Stars by uh, Reika Aoki, which I'm still not sure what I think about it. I know it was good. 
I'm not sure if it was good or if it was great because it's very deep. I mean, it's it's about violin playing and aliens and all kinds of things. Talking about mashups, there, there are no tropes in this thing. I mean, it's it's just it's a very interesting story. Uh, I'm still kind of processing. I just finished it yesterday, the day before. I have a question because um, you've said you read you read deeply, like in science fiction and fantasy, obviously, and we know like fantasy novels can be thick like those can be some some dense books are you one who will you press through if you're not loving it by a certain point or do you set it down and say like life's too short no no life is too short i used to do that i mean i used to i'm so picky about books now first off look i'm going to read 40 books in a year and they're going to be books that i want to read because you know if i get if i get a even 10 percent into it and i'm not feeling it then i'm out you know, and it could be that I'm just not connecting with a story, but it could be the writer has a, a tick that I don't like. It could be anything. I just, there there's too many good books in the world that I want to read. Like my read pile for this year, I will not finish. So, you know, if I'm reading something and I'm not loving it, then I'm probably out. Unless I'm reading it for a reason, which would be either research for myself. You know, I may push through because I'm learning stuff, even if I'm not necessarily enjoying it. Or... If someone has asked me to read it that I don't want to say no to, which is not many people. I usually go into reading, like, if you ask me to read your book, I'll say, I'm going to start it. <laughs> but, but you know, no promises. Um, and never ask me about it again, because I, <laughs> it's really embarrassing if I have to say, well, I didn't get through it. But sometimes it's just not for me, right? I mean, there are very good books that you start and it's just not for you. It's subjective. Wow, we have so many different types of books. Right. And I will often, though, I'll, I'll go one step further, though, is that I'll read a ton of book ones and really? very few book twos. Like, it might be good enough to get through book one, but to make me come back for book two, it has to be really good. Because there's the sexy new book. I mean, you're competing now with the sexy <laughs> new book that I haven't even read yet. And I could be reading that. And, you know, your, your second book, I already kind of know what I'm going to get. And it's like, yeah, it's good, but I could be yeah. trying this new thing. So there are a few authors that I'm just going to devour. You know, I'm, I'm going to get the next thing that, they, you know, Arcady Martin writes something new. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to read it the first week it's out. That's just going to happen, right? Essa Hansen, I already mentioned. Um, and Fantasy, Evan Winter. I'm just a huge fan right now. So whenever his third book comes out, I don't even know when it's coming out. I'll, I'll get that immediately. But other than that, you know, or Margaret Owen in YA. I'm a big Margaret Owen fan. But other than that, I mean, I've read um, Fantasy, She Who Became the Sun was really good. Love that. You know, I think I have that book on my shelf. Shelley Parker Chan. I think it's orange. If you have it on your shelf, you'd probably probably stand out. Yeah, I have exactly one series I'm still sticking with. And books in series that I like need to read really quickly, I guess. And I like like what how you were saying that your books wrap up with each book. I like that. I don't mind if there's like a big arc, but I like to feel like I'm basically I'm done when I'm done and I can wait a year for the next book without like biting my fingernails. And I have one series I've been reading <laughs> since 2004 and I've gotten to the point now it's like I, I'm in too deep to stop I want to stop but I'm in too deep <laughs> I can't stop at this point that yeah that, that can happen I feel like I got that way with Wheel of Time really we're like especially in the middle books like you know you're like nine or ten books in and you're going like the plot's not really moving anywhere but then Sanderson took it over and kind of wrapped it up pretty well I mean I, I think he did a really good job finishing that yeah, I have a good friend who's writing a 15-book series, and he's getting ready to start the 15th book. 
and it ends after that. And it's huge. It's one of the best-selling science fiction series in the world. Did he know it was going to be like a massive series when he started? He, I don't think so, because he self-published the first book and really had no idea that it was going to take off the way it did. I mean, he didn't know that he was going to sell millions and millions of copies. Well, should we play Troped Out? Let's do it. Let's play Troped Out. Troped Out. All right. (laughs) Troped Out. What we'll do is we will basically just rapid fire, sometimes not so rapid, two tropes, and you pick. You can pick it as a reader or a writer. Don't overthink it. There's no rules. It's just fun. It shouldn't be fun. It doesn't sound fun. It's okay. very fun. Um, <laughs> okay. And I, EJ, I'll let you start. Well, this dovetails nicely. Time travel or warp speed. To read time travel, because I think it's harder to write warp speed. Because it's easier. (laughs) Like, you don't need to have the whole saga of the travel there. Well, you have to. I mean, if you're going to set a science fiction book in a galaxy and you want to include more than one planet, you must come up with some artificial, today, at least today, artificial way of getting from planet to planet. It's kind of like artificial uh, galaxy, artificial gravity. It's one of those things that's so widely accepted that it's it's just there. Yeah, those two, I would say faster than light travel and and artificial gravity are two things that are almost expected in any kind of space travel book. You know, unless you want to do what I'm doing, I'm writing a very realistic ship where it has artificial gravity, but only based on spin. Well, I will tell you something embarrassing. I was like 14 when I realized that that wasn't, like there was no artificial gravity because watching so much and reading so much, I was like, oh, well, this is a thing. And then when I realized, oh, no, wait. That has not been invented yet. <laughs> yeah, the ex- the expanse uh, the expanse does it very well with no artificial gravity. So our second one: alien abduction. No one believes you, or secret alien invasion. They're here, but no one believes you. I think. I mean, I would never write either of those, but I think I would go with alien abduction just because it's has the potential to no. be so funny. <laughs> I love cheesy science fiction. Have you ever, like the old movies, like from the 80s? My dad owned a video store when I was a kid, so I like cut my teeth on this. that's cool. Yeah. Do you remember the movie They Live? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. We did a whole episode on it on our other podcast. You have to wear the sunglasses to see the aliens around you. I I remember (laughs) Terrible. from, yeah. I watched a lot lot of movies in the 80s because I was, you know, alive (laughs) and a teenager at the time, so. You're right. There's a lot of potential there you wouldn't write you wouldn't write an alien abduction story i don't think so i don't i don't think that's my style but you got another one ej uh let's do this one unified galaxy alliance or final frontier like um, wild west style oh wow those are both so good probably uh unified empire just because i love big honking space operas that you know bring in all kinds of different areas but bonus points if it's with multiple races most multiple alien races that interact in a realistic way like a cj cherry kind of way or something like that that'd probably be my jam i would definitely read it i'm gonna do another one there's some funny ones on here but i'm gonna skip them um (laughs) you can do them you can do funny ones that's fine um i have a hell of a sense of humor okay i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) i'm just kidding Go ahead. I'll do a funny one. First, I got aliens who want to rule, as in take us to your leader, or aliens who are down to mingle, take us to your breeder. 
And I'm so sorry. I apologize, listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's so good, though. The best science fiction short story in the world ever, and I will not take debate on this, is Bloodchild by Octavia Butler. Yes! Which is a breeder story where they need humans in order to propagate their own race. And because that story itself is so good, it's so good that I taught it when I was teaching high school English, I would go with uh, Take Me to Your Breeder, (laughs) only based on that story. Because I can't imagine another story where I would like it, but that is the best. Uh, like two years ago. And <laughs> so I started I'm, reading it. It's no, no, 20 pages long. Movie. It's no, no, not no, that no. long. It's yeah. a weapon. What I There's thought. a whole interconnected oh, okay. stories that she did with that contained that one. Um, right, and right. I had no idea. Right. I was at a, like, this is in the olden days of discount paperback bookstores. Like I didn't have an ebook. I picked it up on a whim, didn't know what it was, and read it all in like a day. I was like, this is, this is the weirdest thing I've ever read but also like one of the best things I've ever read she is Octavia Butler will blow your mind full stop if you read if you read her dystopian stuff right Parable of the Sower uh, and then the one after that it it basically predicted Donald Trump's presidency to the point where you're going to read it the second book and you're going to have chills you're going to be like holy crap this is so real and I was reading it like in 2017 and just, I mean, it was bizarre how, how well it predicted that that would happen. I need to do a reread because I read it, but it was after I read Lilith's Brood, which is what they call the collection of all the shorts. I read basically everything she wrote because I was like, who is this woman? She was just so good. I need to do a, re- a reread though, because now that you say that, I do remember just, it was spot on in a lot of ways. I usually read something else that she's written like every year. I like work that into my... Yeah, I've read an interview because I do this thing when I find someone, discover like a new author, which obviously she wasn't new when I discovered her. This was like in 2010 or something. I do like a deep dive and try to read like every interview, everything I can with them. And just hearing how she like started writing, she was like really young and she watched some show that was like alien women from planet x or something just really cheesy on late night tv and she was like oh i could write a better story than that and so she did <laughs> like yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she did <laughs> there you go and yeah it made it look easy so again i will apologize up front but we have a bit of an ongoing saga with a certain trope question It started with romance authors, but we're at a point now where we just ask everyone. So, secret baby or secret engagement? (laughs) Secret baby or secret engagement? Man, I was really hoping you were going to go with oldie one bed. So there's this running, well, because there's this running joke with me and my agent, which is played out publicly on Twitter, where she, her, her idea, she wants my main character to hook up with this, one of my side characters, and she wants book four to be called Sheetside, right? (laughs) <laughs> where they where they hook up, so I'm gonna write this romance, right? Um, and we're gonna do so that instead of only one bed, there's only one airlock. So we just went over and over. So I was hoping you were gonna say there was only one bed, but you didn't. So secret secret baby or secret engagement? I'm gonna go secret baby, and and secret baby that comes back well well in the future. Like you're not hiding the baby. The baby was hid from you like Darth Vader style and then comes back 
And there's going to be a book that comes out from Orbit in probably two or three years that has that trope done perfectly. And I can't tell you anything <laughs> about it because I didn't write it. And I'm not even going to tell you who did write it. But I'm just going to tell you that I know that that book was bought by Orbit and they are going to publish it. And it's going to be perfect. Now I'm wondering if Star Wars counts as a secret baby story. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. This is fun because we talked to several people and we posed this question and we have yet to have a romance author who chooses secret baby but mia p manansala who writes mystery i know mia it's like yeah. it's completely different in mystery so it's kind of fun to see that take and it's really fun to see it in science fiction and fantasy as well like how it, it goes a different way yeah luke skywalker is literally <laughs> a secret baby gotta look out for those secret babies well i mean star wars is just filled with tropes anyway well this has been great Michael, uh, can you tell us where our listeners can, can find you and connect with you online? Yeah, I am uh, Michael Mamet on every platform, on Facebook, our website, on Twitter. It's just at Michael Mamet or michaelmamet.com. And we will have his books in our bookshop, but I'm sure they are available everywhere books are sold online and elsewhere. And you can find us at typoproductions.com and across social networks at Typo Podcasts and Troped Out Pod. If you like this episode, subscribe and please leave a review.